If you're a veteran or military spouse of an early stage startup or small business and feel like you're making it up as you go, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to The Transition, where we demystify the entrepreneurial experience for veterans and military spouses who've already made or looking to make the transition from the military into entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, the voice of the bunker. I'm a Marine Corps veteran, social entrepreneur, and member of the Bunker Labs branding team. Today on The Transition, I'm joined by Seda Goff, the Director of Veteran Entrepreneurship at the PinFed Foundation, a nonprofit that provides American military and veterans with resources for a secure financial future. Seda is a Bunker Labs OG, whom I met for the first time back in 2018 when she was running the Washington, D.C. chapter of Bunker Labs, along with their partner in crime, Emily McMahon. Seda and Emily co-founded Capital Post in 2017, a veteran co-working space and incubator in Alexandria, Virginia, that rebranded as the D.C. chapter of the bunker. Seda is no stranger to being in the trenches with entrepreneurs, helping them come up with and validate their business ideas. Now at the Penn Fed Foundation, she's taking things to the next level by working with and investing in our nation's top veteran-led startups through their Veteran Entrepreneurship Investment Program. On the show, Seda and I talk about what it takes to position yourself as a venture-backable startup, the educational programs offered by the foundation, and what emerging industries she's most excited about. If you're interested in raising capital for your startup, this is an episode you don't want to miss. Before you hear from Seda and I, make sure you subscribe to the Transition Newsletter at the link in the show notes. I send out a newsletter at least once a week, and if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter, shoot me an email at mike.stedman at bunkerlabs.org or message me directly on LinkedIn. This episode of The Transition is brought to you by MetLife Foundation and their commitment to supporting veteran and military spouse entrepreneurs. In addition, the foundation also provides mentorship and financial health resources to veterans and military spouses transitioning into the workforce. As always, I hope you enjoyed today's show and that it accelerates you on your own entrepreneurial journey. Seda, welcome back home to the bunker. I can't even say welcome to the bunker because this is... You were here before I was. So you're a Bunker Labs OG, veteran, entrepreneurial, ecosystem builder, now a venture capitalist. How's it feel to be home? Feels good. And you were very generous with uh, with your introduction. So I appreciate that. Man, I had to get Seda on, y'all. She's been doing amazing stuff for the community um, with the Penn Fed Foundation. But even before that, taking it back all the way to Capital Post. And so let's start there. How about you introduce yourself uh, to everyone and bringing them all up to speed on uh, who you are and what you got going on? Sure. So um, I'm Seda Goff. I am the Senior Director of Veteran Entrepreneurs at the PenFed Foundation and uh, here running the Veteran Entrepreneur Investment Program. Started back um, a few years ago now to, you know, we're, we're not going to say how many because then that's going to start to age us, right, Mike? Um, but... Uh, <laughs> So a number of years ago, um, had an opportunity to work with a good friend of mine, Emily McMahon at Capital Post and helping her with this whole bunker thing that was going on, bunker labs, um, and uh, kind of came in with her and um, together we, you know, we worked on the cap- with Capital Post, which was a co-working space and incubator for veteran entrepreneurs in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, and from there, we, you know, we built and grew the Bunker Labs chapter in Washington, D.C. 
And from there, I transitioned to the PenFed Foundation as they kicked off their veteran entrepreneur investment program and investment funding. I'm so happy that you're a venture capitalist and you're doing this. And here's why, right? I feel like Capital Post was very much grassroots level business development, incubator, whatever you want to call it, right? Really helping these entrepreneurs identify how to launch a venture. And you guys were in there, you were in the weeds with them, you were on the whiteboard. And I know personally, because so many of them told me personally back in the day. And so, you know, for me, one of the reasons I do these platforms, and I do podcasting is to get the word out about uh, entrepreneurship and what it really takes to succeed. And a big part of that is also, you know, obviously getting capital for your business. But the reality of it is not all businesses are set up for uh, venture capital. And so the fact that like you're in a space where you understand that and also you can coach people and send them in the right direction because, you know, it, it can sting when people say, oh, you got a nice little lifestyle business. You're like, I'm doing like two, three million dollars a year. I'm working overnight. What do you mean lifestyle business? I put all my savings and stuff into it. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, it's almost as if building a small business is just not glamorous or something, you know? And I feel like when we have people like you in these positions, right, you kind of understand, right, what entrepreneur really is and that, you know, some businesses, yes, are they going to get that 10x return? Do they need venture capital? Absolutely. But at the same time, that doesn't mean we need to look down on, you know, non-venture backed startups. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point. And, you know, while I was at Bunker Labs and working with all of these companies. I mean, literally, I would come in to Capital Post 9 a.m., go into this conference room we had. Um, and luckily, it had no windows um, because it did have whiteboards everywhere. Um, and, and then leave at five o'clock and every hour talk to different veteran entrepreneurs or military spouse entrepreneurs and, and seeing like there are all these different types of businesses that are out there. And, and I think that people have glorified or idealized this idea of being a venture-backed company, but you don't have to be venture-backed to be successful, or you don't even have to be venture-backed to have a successful exit. Uh, there's a lot of different pathways. You know, all that being said, there are a lot of businesses out there or ideas that also don't have legs, and that's okay too. Um, you know, people ask about kind of my journey in entrepreneurship. And, and I, you know, I tell them I, you know, I had some, you know, I had some companies that went well, and I had most of my companies that did not, you know, and it's the idea of like being able to build something, take it out for a test drive, and then, and if it doesn't work, being able to move away from it quickly. Um, you know, you talked about, it's really hard to hear that your company's not venture backable. I mean, it's really hard to hear when you're, you know, and unfortunately, sometimes when we did our coaching, it's, you know, when you give constructive criticism about somebody's business, they hear, oh, you're telling me my baby's ugly. And and it's, no, your baby's not ugly. Maybe you don't even have a baby. Um, or let's work on this together. Like, here are all the things that you can do, one, two, three, four, five, and you can get there. Um, so I think being at Bunker, I, I saw the gap and the biggest gap was this access to capital gap. I think that there's a lot of great veteran service organizations that are particularly like Bunker Labs that are particularly focused on the veteran entrepreneur and in different stages. You know, IVMF has their program at Syracuse University. And, you know, there's a lot of different programs where when I came over to PenFed and they had started this program, I was like, 
here's an opportunity for us to really figure into this gap, into this part. And it was funny, I, I think it was like the first or second month I was here, I happened to be talking to Todd Connor from, from uh, Bunker Labs. And I told him, I go, I wouldn't be here if it, not, if it weren't for you. Like, and he was just like, oh, ha ha, like, you know, okay, thank you. And so no, really, because, you know, the experience that I got with the reps that I had looking at all the companies that came through Bunker, I saw how I could help. And I saw how PenFed could help both as a subject matter expert in the, you know, on the capital side, but also the resources that were built in when I came here and then that we've been able to grow since. I'm right there with you. Bunker Labs was super instrumental in my growth. I mean, you've seen it. I feel like I met you way, was it was like 2017. Yeah. When we were, it was 2017 or 2018, one of those summers when we had the muster uh, or the summit, whatever it was for the leaders, the volunteers yeah. at the time, the city leaders down in, um, in Washington, D.C. And that was when I connected with you. I came back, I quit my job, and I got punched in the face <laughs> and found out entrepreneurship is not as glamorous as people make it out to be, but it's its own journey with tons of rewards nonetheless. It's just a lot different. But yeah, absolutely. Bunker Labs gave a lot of us in this community a platform to build our businesses on, connect with other uh, entrepreneurs, grow our ecosystem, et cetera. And so, you know, one of the things we do on the show, Seda, is we take off our armor. This is where we get vulnerable. And I, maybe I'll go first, right? So one of the things I have come to realize, right, was there's a lot of hype in entrepreneurship, right, coming up with these great ideas. And does marketing matter? Absolutely. Identifying a market with a strong demand, which I emphasize over and over. But one of the things that I am going through, the growing pains now, is the systems process. Now, I'm a lot better than I was before, right, because I didn't see the world in systems, you know, but now – Right. I'm like, pull out my papers. That's why I was telling you before we went live, I'm on the Google Docs and everything. I am creating a system for everything. And I realized that like now, no matter what anyone says, like until you st like start asking the right questions, you start to look behind the scenes. Literally, it's sausage making. But some people have been doing it for so long. They're just good at it. So they got the notion connected to the email, connected to the da da da. And it's a pain in the ass setting all this stuff up. And it's hard. And it takes work and practice. But I think for me, now that I'm aware of it, I'm really leaning into it because I know that's how this whole thing works. Even with this podcast, y'all knew the back end system that it takes to do this podcast. Oh, my gosh. That's why people hire, you know, companies like mine to set it up for them. Well, I think that that's a that's a very good point. But I would take that a step back because sometimes, like, especially when you're starting a business or when you're starting something new, you get kind of like scared of like all these things that are thrown at you and people are talking about this tool versus this tool. And, and sometimes like, especially when you're trying to build something that's automated or um, some level of like software, doing it by hand, at least to see how, to your point, the sausage is made. And then you say, all right, out of the way that this sausage is made, I don't need to be in the weeds here this can be automated this can be a tool this can be a tool but you know what i should still be answering all my customers emails yeah uh for now because i'm in a learning process i'm in a customer discovery cycle you know whatever it is in the in your trajectory like don't let you know the don't let the tools be a barrier for you to just get out the door yeah, and then don't let as, it be a distraction 
don't let it be a distraction and also like pay attention like i am a big like when you're talking about sausage making like i, I had a tech startup back in the day and i used to call every system that i built like this is our sales machine this is our onboarding machine and then i would put these like machine diagrams or flow charts together and then we would you know we would say all right we're going to automate this in hubspot or we're going to you know build this out in the platform that we coded so it's you know i literally and we were again joking about this offline like i love whiteboards i love you know my hands with just dry erase marker all over them because we've just been ideating figuring it out putting the pieces together and molding this company or this machine together so that it's i have something to test because the other part to it is you build a machine it doesn't actually have to work you just have to build it and go test it because if you don't have a way to know if it's right or wrong or like this works and this doesn't and a way to keep score like i'm a I'm a very competitive athlete by nature. Um, I might not be a great athlete, but I'm a competitive one, which doesn't always work well, but um, I need a scoreboard. And if I don't have something to know whether I'm winning or losing, whether it be on the machine I've built or on the number of customers that I've gotten or my customer acquisition cost or my LTV, like anything from like your traction unit metrics that an investor may care about all the way back to is the thing I built right or wrong. Like I need to know, I need to be able to be like, check or nope, I got to redo this section. I bet you would make a great COO. <laughs> That's your next startup right there. You're going to start a COO company. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, an investment fund. Or oh, investment fund. Yeah. <laughs> But that's what I meant by like tracking stuff, all that. It's just very hard. So I'm taking off my armor, y'all. Like y'all see, everybody sees Mike. They're like, oh, you're doing so much. Da -da -da. Behind the scenes, it is very hard, but I am getting better at it. And I'm actually going to record a whole episode just giving some people words of encouragement around that. Because I will say this, that you're right. Like it's in the early days, you just need clients. It's super simple. But when you start scaling up and growing a team, people yeah. don't know what's in your head. And so yeah. basically you have to build a system to scale yourself, basically. Yeah and make sure stuff can work um, efficiently with or without you. I mean, so, so what we do, even for our programs here at um, the foundation and Veep is we do an ops plan. As soon as we have a program and we know that it's gonna happen, we do an ops plan. We have different components that go into that ops plan. We have our project management tracker, and then we do a metrics and evaluation report at the end. So by the end of the year, we have a whole section of what we said we were gonna do, and then how did it go? And then it allows us to be able to kind of plot in between them um, and see if it's, again, did we do a good job or not? Now, what about you? What's, what's something you're struggling with? Uh, what am I struggling? What am I not struggling with? Let's start there. Um, I think the hardest thing and is your time management, right? It's, it's being able to do all the things that you can do without, without, killing yourself as well as without missing the forest for the trees. Um, that being said, I need to take my own advice. So one of our programs, the master's program um, that we have here, we actually, for every company that goes through it, we, the pre-read is a book called Essentialism. Um, and I turn around to see if I have- Greg McEwen, right? Greg McCowan? Yeah. Yes, McCowan, yep. And you know, it all talks about the critical few over the trivial many. And one of the things that we institute into our team is called the win, like the what's important now. 
focusing on like kind of that in from the military, taken from the military, the commander's intent. This is the commander's intent and priorities. And then based on those, like do all the things that you need to do. Um, and, and that being said, it's really hard when you, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, when you're just in build, 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 and you have these idea fairies and you want to test those out and then, oh, you've got a family. Oh, you've got your health. Um, there's, you know, that I think is my biggest challenge. And, and luckily I have a great team who kind of, they're like, what's your water intake today? You know, did you get up? Did you go eat lunch? You know, cause you're just constantly going at a thousand miles an hour. Um, I give advice on this, but it's, it's, I almost need to put up a mirror in front of me to ensure that I'm listening as well. Yeah. And people look at you and they be like, we wish we could be in your shoes, right? Advising all these startups, making investments, all this other stuff. But you're right. Like it's, it's hard. Like it's just, it's all hard prioritizing that time. I've, for me personally, prioritizing health, you know, um, is important. So getting to a CrossFit gym every morning, you know, protecting my time in the morning to meditate, read and write and do all the stuff I need to do. So I appreciate you sharing that. And a lot of our listeners are dealing with the same struggle. So when our guests come on and get vulnerable and take off their armor, they really appreciate it. And I know personally, cause they reach out and let me know. And so, you know, one of the things again, that brought us here is bunker labs. I'm curious to hear from you, how important is it is for our community both veterans and military spouses to have an, an ecosystem of their own? So there's, there's kind of two components to it too, right? There's the, there's been a number of different studies, uh, both from IVMF and as well as um, some other institutions that talked about the two biggest challenges or roadblocks for military connected entrepreneurs are ecosystem and access to capital. And, and there, and I think bunker does, you know, the best job in terms of bringing that ecosystem together. Uh, and that's you know why Penfit Foundation focuses on the other side of it, the access to capital. But you you know your question about why, right? There's a certain level of challenges and vulnerability and that you need to go through as an entrepreneur. There's it is not easy. I mean, there were days you know when I had my startup that I was literally on the top of the world. Like I was just like, oh, why does anybody else do anything else? I am having the time of my life. And the very next day, literally saying, what the heck was I thinking? Why did I think that I could have other people's payroll and livelihoods on my back? Like, this is crazy. And then the very, you know, five minutes later, coming right back. And it's that roller coaster of emotions. And, you know, one thing that I think is very important is having a community that you can turn to and be honest and, and say, like, I had a really good day today, or I didn't have a good day today. And this is why anybody can anybody help. And, and having that ecosystem that you can turn to, to one, know that you're not crazy that, you know what, all of these feelings you're feeling hundred percent normal. Number two, I've gone through it yesterday. So next time I'm going to call you. So it's having that almost battle buddy to go through this with. And then finally, the one thing that I've noticed, because I've been in a number of different ecosystems throughout my life in terms of entrepreneurs and just people in general. And I would say the most unique thing about this veteran entrepreneur or military connected entrepreneur ecosystem is if somebody calls on somebody else who's even, let's say, an IPO'd CEO, they will say, come on, if it's another veteran, if that's a veteran, another veteran, come on in. Let me open my books. Let me show you. Let me show you the way that I took. Let me show you what's going on. Um, I mean, we do in our week six of our master's program, we 
we do these stories from the battlefield where it's kind of a closed door session where we bring in entre veteran entrepreneurs that have either recently gone through a late series um, in fun, like raise or recently gone through an exit or IPO that have those gaping wounds that, and they come and share. And then what was really interesting is we had one of our um, portfolio companies, uh, founders who I'll give a shout out to Sam Meek from Sandbox. He came and spoke because he had recently raised a series A and he, he said to these 10 different companies, he said, you know, I know you guys are all trying to find some data. Like I have these logins to these databases that cost a lot of money to, you know, for you to be able to get it. Call me, let's go do this together. And he literally took a meeting with every single one of those companies after he just raised all this money and was in deployment mode. So, I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of, and I'm not even gonna call it give back. It's just really support that this community has had for each other. Um, it, and we see that with our portfolio companies that work together, our master's program companies that work together outside of us putting them together. You know, they're talking on their own. And that is something unique that I, I personally have not seen in other ecosystems. So I'll tell you, um, I think a lot of veterans are lonely, right? Just from transitioning out of the service, you're out there in the wild, my God, if you become an entrepreneur, you're dealing with all kind of stuff in your head. You know, people don't know what you got going on. You're responsible for payroll. You're trying to get your dream off the ground, et cetera, et cetera. To come together and be around other people, right? Like, I take it for granted. I'm in New York City. I'm in the New York City metro area. So I can, like, throw a rock and hang out with someone. But for people that are spread out across the country, it's not like that. And so when I see organizations like Bunker Labs and more recently the PenFed Foundation – it's like I'm trying to tell all these veteran entrepreneurs, go find your tribe. I'm telling yeah. you, it's like a breath of fresh air. Even when you guys came to New York City and you held that event, the energy was amazing. People were so happy to see each other. And you, it's if you're listening to this and you're not part of this ecosystem, please come join it. I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're around friends and family. It's going to be great. And so with that, uh, Seda, talk to us about this master's program because – Every time you guys do your Camp Sophie thing, people are going on LinkedIn, they're sharing photos and everything. So I really want to learn more about the program. Yeah. And then also me and you want to talk, you know, what makes a good investable a startup? Yeah. Um, so those things are go hand in hand. So our master's program presented by Sophie um, is basically it's a fundraising accelerator. It, it ties on to a lot of other programs and we recruit from them, but this is strictly focused on helping that veteran entrepreneur, veteran entrepreneur go that last hundred yard dash toward their first institutional capital. So most of our companies have raised their friends and family round, and now it's time to go raise money from people that don't love and care about you. And um, so what, it, what the through line of the whole program is, is helping you put together your data room. And what your data room is, is all the documents and uh, spreadsheets and legal work and all that kind of stuff that an investor wants to see to be able to make an investment decision and how to have it organized and you know what to include and what not to include. Um, and, then, and then that all goes toward our demo day. So we also do pitch prep and pitch prep specifically for uh, pitching to investors. Cause there's a lot of folks that come in with a pitch deck that went to pitch competitions and maybe won them all, but that pitch deck may not be a hundred percent relevant for an investor. 
So uh, what Mike is talking about, so the program kicks off with a retreat called Camp Sosi, and we've done four of them uh, to date and all during COVID, and we've realized the art of the possible with enough sunscreen and bug spray. And after the first Camp Sosi, we realized we need more sunscreen and more bug spray. So that was the big AAR that came out of that one. And, um, and it, at this retreat, you know, we focus on the founders. So there's a lot of different accelerators and incubators out there that focus on your business and, and focus on the product that you're building or the technology or, you know, the med tech thing that you're building. Um, and we, we will get there. Don't get us wrong. We will get there. But we start with this retreat. Um, and to your point, Mike, you know, because we did this during a time where people weren't getting together and the fact that they were able to get together really gelled this group together. So uh, we bring so day one, Saturday morning, you come in, um, we go straight out for a staff ride um, in the Manassas battlefields. And from there, we have a number of different events on the first day that focus on the founder inward, like things about leadership, essentialism, uh, all these different things that you tools you need as a startup founder. And then day two, we focus on the founder toward their company. And here we're bringing in our alumni and our alumni. It's funny, our alumni and our portfolio companies are invited to come for day two. Um, I think the last cohort that we had, we had more alumni and portfolio than the cohort members because everybody keeps coming back. And it's pretty amazing to see this like group just kind of mushroom and grow. And then on day, um, at the culmination of the second day, we have a mixer where we bring together the local investors, because what we want to do is have these investors see these companies at the beginning of our program and then see them at the end so that they can become a line, not a dot in terms of investing. So they can say, hey, Mike said he was going to do this, this, this for his company. And oh, wow, he knocked it out of the park in the you know two months since I've seen him. So that's you know very important. And then uh, then we start digging in. So boot camp session number one starts on Monday, uh, that Monday, and that's traction unimetrics week two, a week later, and from then on, it goes virtual until a demo day. Um, week two is accounting. Week three, financials. Week four, legal. Week five, shades of money. What are the different types of capital that are out there? Everybody talks about VC or angel money. That is like this much of the different types of asset classes that are out there um, or, or investment vehicles that are out there available. And if you're a med tech company, you may have different money available to you than if you are a SaaS based business or as consumer packaged good. So, you know, what are the different capital that's out there? Um, and then week six, we have our, you know, stories from the battlefield where we bring in veteran entrepreneurs to talk about their experiences. And then in about week 10, we do a demo day. Um, we just had our last demo day um, and we had about three dozen or so, a um, little more than that, investment groups. We had, represented in in the room in person as well as online um listening to the pitches of these 10 companies we have 10 companies per cohort um and we are now in the process of bringing together like who's going to invest what is that round going to look like um and then you know we also you know put money in as well we invest in about two to three companies per master's program cohorts as well as outside um, through our uh, Veteran Entrepreneur Fund Bravo, which is our venture capital fund. So just for clarification, the in-person experience, is that over the course of like a weekend or three days and then everything else is remote 
and uh, or mix. And them then in we person. bring everybody back for demo day. That's right, Mike. So that's three days um, for the retreat, then six weeks in uh, online or 10 until demo day. And then demo day, we bring everybody back. All of this is uh, free. There's no um, there's no like first rider refusal, you know, equity, nothing, because um, we do not want to be a barrier to your to the veterans access to capital because that's kind of counterintuitive. Um, and also we pay for all the all the travel. So we cover all the expenses to be part of the program, um, as well as obviously not taking anything from the company. So Seda, I got to give you your flowers, right? Here's why. One of my frustrations within the veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem, bunker labs everywhere is how do we get more enlisted, young transitioning service members in the fight? In the entrepreneurial fight, how do we give them a platform to amplify? And you found a Marine staff sergeant, right? <laughs> Doesn't have some elite master's degree, right? Just, I think he says like Chico State or something. <laughs> and you introduced him to investors, and now he is on the path to build uh, Smart Laundry, yes. Mr. Scott Patterson. And I'm like, Scott, we got to amplify you because you show people what's possible. And when I asked Scott, you know, how did you make, how did you get this capital? How did you bring this vision life? He's like, talk to Seda. He was like, it was Seda. <laughs> she made the introduction to Hivers and Strivers, which goes back to talking about that ecosystem, having this trust and credibility. So for me, it's like, not only are you talking the talk, right, but you're walking the walk. And for me as a fellow Marine to see, you know, an enlisted service member get this opportunity, I was like, I got to give you guys your flowers. <laughs> you want to know something crazy? So I we were looking at our portfolio, um, recent portfolio update. Of our portfolio right now, 44% are Marine Corps founded and led. What the heck? You guys are leading the way here. You know what it is? It's that sniff test. You see one person succeeding and you're like, hey, man, the water's all good. Come on in. And more and more people go. So that's why it's important we have these platforms to amplify all the branches of services and, you know, all the entrepreneurs in our ecosystem. So they know that it's like a safe space. And the other thing too, is you guys build a strong portfolio. You know, you've got Anthony Gant, you've got, uh, what's Luke from, uh, what's his company? I got to get him on here. Clusive that went through. Yep. Clusive. That went through the master's program. Yep. And we've got, uh, Ben Lang from native. Obviously you said Scott, Sam Meek from, uh, sandbox. We've got wove, with Brian Elliott, um, the Paint True guys, Murphy's, um, Brad Holling and Jess Holling from B Hawk, Leaselock, Riken, yep. who's doing awesome things. Um, Abe K Mark, True Made Foods, who That's right. you know, was one of my first people I met at Bunker like years and years ago. So like we've had a long-standing relationship. Uh, Motorin that's out in California, um, with David Cho. I mean, we've got I can't brag about these people enough. Like they're awesome. So this brings up to my next topic of venture backable startups. Okay. Who should, who meets the criteria? Can you explain in your own words, what makes a venture backable startup? Because you know, you go to these veteran entrepreneurial events and everyone knows access to capital. That's what they're all thinking about. And although we give a lot of platform to VC stuff, et cetera, you hear questions in the audience where people are asking things, and I'm. It's like, listen, I hate to say this to you, you're not a venture backable startup, 
right? And it takes some research and to learn what that means and stuff, et cetera. But if you try to position your venture in this light, you will never receive investment. So I'm going to answer this in two ways. One is, so a successful startup is somebody who's found a very high pain point and problem. They know who has it. They know where to find them. And the solution that they build them costs less than they're willing to pay to solve the problem. And the larger the margin, the better. The more of those customers, the better. Um, higher the pain point, the better, because they'll pay more. You know, all of those things kind of are like little equalizers on a on a stereo, right? Like they'll they'll make the sound of your business better. Um, so you need to have those things. Like that's all it takes to have a successful business. To be a successful venture backable business, it depends. So here's where it depends. Uh, the metrics that I would put on a consumer packaged good goods company and to be whether they're venture backable or not are different than a software company that are different than a services company, because you have to look at it from the investor's perspective. So one, I would, if I were looking at starting a business and I didn't, I'd not raised funds before I would go and learn the business model of your investors, of the investors you want. Understand our business model, understand how we make money. And if you can understand that, you can tell me how you fit in to my business model. We all as investors, we we dig into everybody's business model, right? Like that's our job is you send us a pitch deck, we dig through, we do our due diligence, we, we learn about your business model and see if it makes sense or not do the same to us there's there's a lot of great books out there one of my favorite is secrets of sand hill road they they'll even help you through the math of it um because if you're looking at a business that you can say oh it's a 10x business so it must and by 10x it's you know the the amount that somebody can get back from their investment um at least but there are some CPG directed uh, investment funds that aren't looking for that. They're looking for different metrics and and different type of traction numbers. Uh, there are, you know, lately I've been geeking out a lot about venture capital business models. There are so many out there. There are some funds out there that actually want to buy um, legacy businesses. So multi-generational businesses that are cash flow businesses that, you know, it, 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 it is the thing that looks the least like a venture backable company, but, you know, let's say the third generation of that family doesn't want it anymore. You know, they've, they, that's not their thing. So, you know, these funds buy those and then create an economies of scale over the multiple companies that they've bought and are able to get the returns that they need from that investment that way and basically get the dividends along the way. There's some out there. Um, there's this one the other I saw the other day that even goes as far as leaving the CEO in place to run the company and giving him giving him or her a date night stipend every month for them and their spouse and a family vacation stipend. 
And it's just, there's so many ways out there. The more traditional venture, you know, venture capital that's out there, their job is to make money for their investors. So if they put $1 into you, they need to get a certain number of dollars back. And you may not be their big bet. You may be their, sing, you know, their, I use a lot of baseball analogies here, but like, you know, they might be, you might be their contact hitter that just needs to get on base. So the thing that they're looking at in terms of returns might be lower. You might be, if, if they need in their portfolio, they need a couple of home run hitters on their batting lineup. If you're not it, that might be okay. You might be the person that, you know, they put in just to be able to get the other ones to, you know, to move on base. So figure it, it it's awful to say that it depends, but it really does depend. Like that being said, if you are not willing to exit at some point or allow the investor to exit at some point, don't bring on investors. There needs to be an exit. All right. I want to take my try where you're here too. I will say also you need a large market opportunity that is going to give good returns for your investors. So if you're approaching like an institutional fund, probably need that big 10X. Like don't buy the first round capital or benchmark or all these big players, right? That's just not what they do. Okay. Now, uh, an angel investor potentially, right? But the, again, like these big VC firms, they really want those large market opportunities. Right, and their checks are bigger. Like they, your hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollar check that you're invest, you know, asking for them, is not going to move the needle for them. You know, you have to know who fits into what part of your life cycle, right? Your angel investors are going to be earlier. You know, they're they're individuals deciding with their own pocketbooks for the most part. You're more VCs early stage want the smaller checks and basically put as many out as possible. Then you have your later stage, your series A and so forth that are putting one to $3 million checks into play. Um, again, those aren't your benchmarks. Benchmarks and all them are pushing stuff down the road. Um, most of them, if they're going to do early stage, they're investing in another fund that will do that, those rounds for them. So, you know what I've been geeking out on, right? Venture studios. And I've been yeah. following the models too. Science Inc. I'm hoping to get Mike Jones on this podcast at some point. But like you said, they had 150 different models that they've played around, you know, uh, with. So they're, they're right. There's like all these different models out there. And again, one of my things I'm thinking about, why can't we have a venture studio for military veterans? You know, just share the lessons learned, marketing, uh, sales, all that other stuff, and put CEOs on these market opportunities that a team identifies and they go out and conquer and win. Because I think one thing we can all agree on, entrepreneurship is hard enough as it is running a small business or a lemonade stand. But then when you start talking about going for exits, going for broke, it's a whole different game. And yeah. you're playing with other people's money. They got board observers and all this other, you know, all this other stuff. So I saw to say is it's very, very hard. And the more knowledge and insights we can share in the community doesn't mean you're going to be successful. All we were trying to do is increase your chances of success, at least getting past that initial launch phase. No, I agree. And I think that that's where I think some of these incubators and accelerators do a good, you know, and I'm not even just talking about ours, but like that do a good job of bringing the like-minded people together to be able to share, 
you know, best practices, um, like uh, talking about Anthony Gant, I very vividly remember, you know, somebody during breakfast at the retreat kind of lamenting about something. And Anthony goes, oh, I have a spreadsheet for that. Let it, I'm just going to send it over. And he goes, took on his phone and the guy had it in his in inbox. You know, and, and being just like, that's, you know, where that ecosystem thing goes, you know, before we start trying to build some big things, like look at the resources that we have and then start building toward it. And there, you're right. There are some really good um, venture studios. Like one of my favorite here in the local area was called Data Tribe, you know, that focused on um, uh, kind of graduates of three letter agencies. Um, and that was a really interesting model too. And they, they produce some really good companies, um, but there's some really good stuff out there. And if you bring like-minded people together, they'll feel comfortable to share. So for all our listeners whose hearts dropped when they're like, I don't have a venture backable startup. I'm just trying to, you know, launch my small business and stuff, et cetera. And I still need capital. What advice do you give to them? Yeah. So there's a look at the different so number one i would look at what are the different resources that are available in your local area uh everything from like meet with your small business um sbdc small business development centers look at what the sba programs that are in your local area look at the different chamber of commerce there's now a lot of veteran chambers of commerce around the country you know that's something that you know to your point about the New York trip, we publish a top cities for veteran entrepreneurs list every year in conjunction with Edelman Intelligence. And we've gotten an opportunity to visit all these cities. Um, and usually we're brought into them through the Veterans Chamber of Commerce. And they are a great tool about what different capital is available, what different resources, uh, pitch competitions, grant programs. Um, you know, look at, talk to your local folks first. The other thing that I would do is try to find somebody that is two to three steps ahead of you in the type of business. It doesn't have to be the exact business, but in the type of business that you want to build or that you are building and see where they're at. See if you can talk to them, see if they'll, you know, share how they got through the couple you know, steps that you're going through right now, or maybe just do some research as to where their capital is coming from. Um, a lot of this stuff is public information in terms of, you know, the publicly or federally given funds or grant programs. Um, so I would I would look at those two things, your local organizations, your Veterans Chamber of Commerce type of things or SBDCs. And then finally, a mentor, somebody that's a couple steps ahead of you uh, to help bring you along and show you those anthills that you may never see unless you talk to somebody. How do you advise founders to balance raising capital and also acquiring customers? So I'll take myself, for example. You know, when I first entered a bunker, I was doing a lot of pitch competitions. I was always signing up, working on those decks, scrambling. And then one of my advisors was like, why are you pitching? Just go out and get clients. And you're like, well, it's hard getting clients themselves. And then next thing you know, you can fund a whole business off of a single client or get that seed capital off a single client. And so I know it's glamorous to go get capital and raise capital, but like, how do you advise founders to find that balance? So there's, so if you are a solo founder, you, you kind of have to find when is the right time to take a tactical pause from building your business to raise money. Like you can't really be doing both. 
So find that milestone that you know that you need to get to in terms of customer growth or whatever it is so that you are attractive to these investors. If you have a co-founder or co-founders, you know, let it be, let almost create, you know, chief, you know, fundraising officer, like, and literally that person is the one that runs around and raises capital and brings in the subject matter experts as needed with these investors um, as you go along. So if you're by yourself, find that right moment to take a tactical pause. It's really hard to do both otherwise. Or two, if you have a team, pick one person that that's their job. There's been a lot of talk lately about the recession. And I think uh, Y Combinator wrote this whole kind of post about it's going to be hard to get funding. So buckle down, get profitable and stuff, et cetera. How do you see the uh, venture capital landscape folding out over the next, you know, six to eight, is it six to 18 months? I don't know. You know, however long people are being affected. saying affected. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple. So yes, I think the part, the people that will feel this the most are kind of your early stage founders. One of the parts in my opinion that the market is going to do is valuations are going to come down. So if you are raising money right now and you haven't gotten the market signals that are giving you thumbs up on the valuation that you're going to market with, um, reevaluate. Um, one of the things that a lot of existing funds are starting to see is depending on who they've invested in, they might be hitting a down round for a next round of investment for that one company that was too overvalued and now is dropping. Um, so be very cognizant of how much these investors are willing to pay. I don't believe that, I think the money will take a, a pause to kind of reevaluate their portfolios and reevaluate their way forward, but the money's still there. There's a lot of committed capital that's already in play in the market. So that's not gonna go anywhere. And I think also there's a lot of investors and limited partners out there that are going to put continue to put money into venture capital funds because you're you're basically betting on something that's potentially seven to ten years out. And if there is a good time to do it, it's right now. It's when you know the you know the market prices are going to go down. It's time to get in. So if you are pricing your round properly and it works well for you and your company, this is actually a great time because there's investors out there that want good deals right now. Um, also, you know, think about because capital is gonna be more expensive for you as a founder right now, like think about, do I need a million dollars? Can I, can I make it 12 months on 500,000? Can I hit my goals and then raise again, maybe a little bit or, you know, a little bit sooner than if I had raised a million? Can you bring that dollar amount down so that you can be a good deal for somebody without having to give away the farm? Um, so I, so to answer your question, I think it's a good market if you price yourself well and talk to investors, see where they're at in terms of what are the valuations that they would want and don't be insulted if you're if they bring your valuation down. Cause you know, I, I look at all of this as like a housing market right? You look at what is somebody willing to pay for your house? What is somebody willing to pay for your company? And if the market goes down, your 
house value goes down. You may decide I'm going to live in this house longer and sell it later. That's what you were saying, right? Get more customers, push toward profitability and raise money later. That is definitely an option. Or if you want, you know, price accordingly and move forward. Um, the money is going to be out there. That's, that's not going to change. There's so, I think this is a good time if you're smart about how you go about raising money. People were terrified during COVID and you see what happened there. I launched a whole new business, you know? Oh, I, I don't know if we talked, I remember talking to so many people at the beginning of 2020. Like I, I was basically having like psychology sessions. Like it was like, I was like a therapist of some people that were crying, mad, like had this resolve. It was awesome. Like I saw literally every emotion and I just kept telling them, I was just like, money is going to take a tactical pause and then it's going to come back with like, with a fierceness. And it like, I'm not saying that I was Nostradamus, but it, I mean, that's what happens. Like it's, it's human nature to say, let me see what, you know, let me get my legs underneath me. Let me see what's going on. And then let me then put my, put my money and my capital where I see things growing. And then the market corrects too. Like everybody was at home, at home fitness. Correct. Man, you know, buying heavy bags, Pelotons, et cetera. Now the sun's glistening. People are like, I don't want to work out inside no more. Sorry, yeah. Peloton. Sorry, all these brands. And it's just, that's what she's talking about, about the market, right? It's always there. It's really about the demand and what people are prioritizing, what they're willing to spend money for. Now, this is the fun stuff, Seda. As an investor, what are you geeking out on in terms of industries? What are you excited about? Because we hear all this talk, Web 3.0, nfts you know native digital brands like all this other kind of lingo that's coming out but for you personally like what what are you most interested in i personally um kind of love two things one is um companies that can figure out how to be a cash flow business early on even if that's not their long-term play um so i really love that i, I love the idea of cash flow businesses Tumble's definitely one of them, throwing Tumble out there. Um, the other part is the long-term data. Uh, that's where I like personally geek out. So I love the ability to say, this is what I'm doing right now, but here's my big vision and the long-term play for the data that we're collecting. So to give you an example, one of our master's program companies, uh, Free to Feed, Dr. Trill Pollen, she's awesome. She's amazing. She's created a allergen test strip to test breast milk for allergy proteins that get transferred from the mother to the child. Great, let's, let's ensure that the child doesn't get colic or any other you know, allergic reactions to what the mother consumes. But what's interesting in a model like hers is she's now collecting the data through an app that the mother interacts with to be able to figure out what the child's allergic to. And after the first year, that app is free for the life of that child. So she has built a company that will have the first longitudinal data for childhood allergies ever. And being able to say, this is the thing I built now, but this is the big vision for the stuff I'm going to do with the data I'm collecting. And I love, she always said, you know, her thing is I want to bring the peanut butter jelly sandwich back to the classroom. Because uh, we're not allowed to send peanut anything, you know, to school with our kids anymore. Um, so I love longitudinal data plays. That's y'all hear that? 
<laughs> she just told you what she likes. So cash flow positive businesses, you know, long-term data. I like the plan to win framework by the guys over at uh what's the what's the company? Procter and Gamble. Yeah. Um, you know, where do you want to play? You know, what are you doing to set yourself up there and convey that? So that's great. And one of the things we've been doing, Sad, is we've been chopping up a minute, but we haven't talked about PinFed. And I think it's important for our listeners to know why is this so important to the PinFed Foundation? Like, why are they so amped? Why are you guys so excited to support the veteran ecosystem? Because I feel like y'all just kind of stepped onto the scene. And I have a note here. I remember when you took over that role, I think you posted on LinkedIn, I'm still an entrepreneur. And next thing I know, I start seeing these top 10 cities for veteran entrepreneurial ecosystem. And lo and behold, Newark was like number one, I think like one year. And I was like, to be honest, though, we got an incubator here through the GI Go Fund where I'm at now. We really do have a tight, close knit community. So I'm interested to, um, you know, learn like why, what is it about PenFed? Why are y'all so resolute about this mission? So the PenFed Foundation actually started back just after 9-11 to help support the through financial assistance programs for those uh, military families that were affected um, by the attack on the Pentagon because of PenFed is actually Pentagon Federal Credit Union, which is who created the PenFed Foundation. And, you know, over the first 20 years of the program of the foundation, they focused on helping the veteran military community with financial stability as they transition into, you know, from the military into civilian life. And in 2018, the CEO of the credit union, as well as the foundation, James Skank, who is a veteran himself, a West Point graduate, um, he saw there's an opportunity for us to be able to help with the financial stability and opportunities of our veteran community by investing in veteran entrepreneurs. So veterans are 30% more likely to hire other veterans and military spouses than their non-veteran counterparts. They're also more likely to give back to their communities, whether it be their geographic or their military communities. So you see the second and third order effect of a dollar that goes to a veteran entrepreneur versus, you know, putting it somewhere else. Like you see these like bigger effects and we're tracking those like veteran employment, um, you know, revenue created taxes, like all these types of things. Those are really big deals. Um, and since then we built the program out to have mainly three lines of operation, educate, prepare, invest in our educate line of operation. We do our top cities for veteran entrepreneurs list that, uh, you mentioned in our prepare line of operation, uh, we have two main programs. Um, one is our master's program. That is our marquee program um, for the foundation. And the other is our ignition challenges. Our ignition challenges focus more on those brand new businesses or small businesses. This is a grant-based program that we uh, that we award, you know, we've awarded up to $50,000 um, in, you know, in a grant to uh, an entrepreneur. And, and then in our invest, we invest in entrepreneurs. We've had our alpha fund that was a 100% donor-based fund, and then our uh, Bravo that is a traditional venture capital. And what also makes our investment funds a little bit different um, than traditional investment funds is all of the earnings that we receive from our investment funds. So if we give you a dollar, Mike, and you turn it into 10, all of that money goes back into the foundation and goes back into the fund. So the success of one veteran entrepreneur begets the opportunities for the successes of others. So it's that true community aspect 
um, that we have been trying to build through all of our programs. That's amazing. And I appreciate you sharing that because, you know, anytime you're helping veterans and military spouses, people are like, what's their angle? What are they in it for? But it sounds like y'all been doing it for a while. You got a great portfolio of it already, and I'm excited to support. And so I want to encourage our listeners that feel like they are a venture-backable startup to make sure they apply uh, to your master's program. Now, as we prepare to close out, I got two more questions for you. Number one, you've dropped a lot of books, and I'm a bookworm, right? (laughs) So for our, our listeners, what books do you recommend that they take a look at as they start to prepare to raise venture capital? So um, we actually, when you get in the master's program, we give you these books too. Number one is a book called Get Backed. Uh, This is a great book that goes through and actually shows you pitch decks that have been success, that raised money successfully. And then it shows you the timeline and how many investor meetings that they've had to take, how long did it take them to raise their rounds. Big fan of that. Number two, Secrets of Sand Hill Road. So you understand the venture, uh, the venture capital funds business model and essentialism so that you really understand yourself and that you don't that you are properly tuned and ready to build your company and not be you know distracted by shiny things and for bonus brownie points those of you that want to understand the venture capital business model i got the book right here uh the business of venture capital by mahandri ramsinghani I think that's the name of the book. I'll include a link in the show notes, but it's a great book for just the behind the scenes. It is like this thick. It's super thick, y'all. And I learned about it from a few people that sent it to me. And that's how I was able to learn about LPs and funds and funds of funds and just kind of how these venture, uh, these venture capital firms uh, make, make money. Yeah. So second question I got for you, Seda is you've given us your time. She could be cutting checks right now, y'all, making $10,000 a minute, but she's spending it with us. As a community, how can we support the work you're doing with the PinFed Foundation? So helping us get the word out. That is our biggest thing that our ask is, is um, we would like to have this whole community as part of our programs. Come and apply. You can visit our website at veip.penfedfoundation.org. Um, come and check out our master's program. We have applications that are open for that year round, but we're definitely gearing up toward our next cohort. Um, and we are in the middle of our ignition challenge, uh, right now we'd run three of them per year. So please apply. Um, and then let us know if there's anything else that we can help you with. Um, we're here to support. You're in the ecosystem. We're going to make sure we amplify the work you're doing. Thank you for that top cities and, uh, all the resources that you put out for the veteran entrepreneur and military spouse community so it's been an honor having you here and for all our listeners be sure to subscribe to the transition newsletter at the link in the show notes i send out a newsletter at least once a week sharing the latest episode of the transition if there's a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or in the newsletter feel free to reach out to me at mike.stedman at barkerlabs.org or message me directly on linkedin at iron mike stedman until next week everyone peace love and have a great rest of your week